This is Bob Morris in Desert Horticulture. Today we'll be talking about roses and growing them in the desert. Why are they all brown? What am I doing wrong? How can I get them to green up? We'll talk about this and more on today's Desert Horticulture. Roses actually do well in the desert. Uh, they grow well. I know that they aren't typically thought of as desert plants or growing well in the desert, but they do. They grow decent for about eight months out of the year. There's about, uh, the winter for roses actually is the, are the summer months here in the warm subtropical, semi-tropical climate of southern Nevada. And our low humidity, our high temperatures in the summer, low humidity, um, the high temperatures are a problem for it. They struggle during those times, but in the winter months, they perform very, very well. What we, the, the common mistake made by most people when they grow roses in the desert is really two things. One is that they'll surround it by rock as a surface mulch. And number two, they'll use an inferior soil amendment to improve the soil at planting time and not use a, a decent material. Let's cover some of those things, but you first need to realize that there's an opportunity uh, on November the 9th, Saturday, November the 9th, 2019, for you to talk to some Rosarians at a rose show in Las Vegas. It's being held at the University of Nevada Cooperative Extension offices uh, on Windmill and Maryland Parkway. Uh, Saturday, November the 9th, from 1 until 4 in the afternoon. You've got Rosarians from the South Valley Rose Society there that can answer questions. But I'm going to, to cover some of the information here, at least to get you started. First of all, there, are, there, there is a difference in, in roses. There are some roses that perform better in the heat, and some that perform better in cooler climates. And let's make sure we use, when we select a rose, let's select a rose that's really made for, at least <clears throat> that is adaptable to the hot weather of the Mojave Desert. I would recommend that you go to <clears throat> use a list that's published by Weeks Roses. If you go on the website, the Weeks Roses website, uh, weeksroses.com, I believe it is, and uh, pull it up. If you go on that website, it's going to say something about selecting roses. And if you click on that area, it's going to bring up uh, several different climate zones where roses will grow. And one of those climate zones will be the hot, dry, desert climate that we would like to pick from. Not uh, Don't pick anything with high humidity and lower temperatures. That's a different group of roses, but you'll want to focus on those roses that do well in the hot, dry climates of the desert. Click on that one, and it'll bring up a list of maybe 200 roses that you can pick from, varieties that you can pick from. So when you select a rose, select a variety that will at least do well in the hot, dry climates of the Mojave Desert. After you've done that, then go ahead and uh, select a, a location where you're going to plant. The, uh, 
where you're going to plant the roses. The absolute best location is going to be um, on the east side of a building so that it gets shade from the late afternoon sun. It should get six to eight hours of sunlight, but if it can get some shade from the late afternoon sun, it will do better. Now, I'm not saying you can't grow roses on the south and west sides and the north side of a building, but clearly the south and west sides are going to be hotter and the plants are going to be under more stress because they're not a desert plant. <clears throat> they will grow in desert climates, but they're not uh, a true desert plant. They're what we call a mesic plant. They like soil improvement, <clears throat> excuse me, and they like water in the soil. Not a lot. They like good drainage, but they like a moist soil as well. So the east side is absolutely the perfect space place to grow roses. You can do it with a lot of indirect sun on the north side, as long as there's reflected light on the inside. But sometimes in the in that northerly sector, uh, that northern exposure, you can get some late afternoon sun over there, and that could be a little detrimental could be a little bit of a shock. So the east side. If you're going to plant them on the south or west side, then go ahead and and uh, make sure that the soil is improved with a decent compost or soil amendment and make sure that the drainage of that soil is is good, that it drains water. What I would recommend that you do, keep the planting holes about three feet from the foundation of the home. Uh, that will help the roses breathe a little bit. The reflected heat, the radiance from those walls on the south and west side. On the east side too, uh, it's going to help. And try to keep your water, irrigation water, about three feet from the side of the house as well. There's a lot of salts that are contained in Colorado River water. And there's a lot of salts in our desert soil. So the combination of the two is not good for concrete cement. Uh, in foundations. So keep those away from the house. Try to put your water down uh, about three feet from the house and that should keep it fairly dry al along the, the foundation. Um, so when we're planting those roses, you're going to select it from uh, a decent uh, hot weather rose that performs well under low humidity and high temperatures. You're going to select a variety from that. Now when you plant it in the ground, make sure that the hole is at least three times the size of the container. It doesn't need to be deep. It does need to drain, but it doesn't need to be deep. And in fact, that can create some problems if you overdig the hole and make it too deep. You're not going to hurt anything by making it greater than three times the width of the container. But if you dig it deep, you could run into some sinking problems and whatnot uh, with it. And also staking it is going to be a little bit more difficult in that soft soil beneath it. So um, dig it th at least three times the size of that container. When I pick my rows uh, or roses that I'm going to plant, that hole is dug. It's excavated out. The soil is kept to the sides. And that uh, I'm going to fill that hole with, with water with, from a hose, and I'm going to let it soak overnight to make sure that the soil drains, make sure that the water moves from that hole. 
in that soil on the surrounding area that you took out from that hole, you're going to mix that with a good quality compost. I, I do some consulting at Viragrow, which is a, a soil mixing company in Las Vegas, and uh, help to develop a few of their blends. But the compost that they're using, which is a municipal solid waste, one of the composts that they have, they have three different kinds of compost. One compost that they have is recycled municipal solid waste that is uh, looked at by the EPA very carefully. I get uh, test results uh, from that showing the breakdown of heavy metals and whatnot. And EPA watches these types of compost for municipal solid waste very closely because they want it to be used. It's part of that recycling effort, keeping out of the landfills. But at the same time, they want it safe for things to be planted in the home landscape. So uh, that's watched carefully. And, and the, the composting facility responsible for making this compost in Southern California has to send in reports uh, to the EPA monthly to make sure that uh, there aren't any, any there's, that the compost is a good quality compost. So that's all checked. There is another compost that you can use if you don't like the idea of using uh, recycled municipal solid waste that's been composted. There is another compost that I put together. We used to call it the vegan compost. It's now called the quote-unquote uh, organic compost. Uh, and it is made with no animal byproducts at all mixed with it. It's all a wood products that have been composted with uh, mineral fertilizers. But anyway, you're going to get that, and the volume that you need is a, a volume equal to the amount of soil that you pull out of the hole. So when you mix that compost with that soil, the density of the compost and the density of the soil is different. That is, the volume, the weight of the volume, is much different from each other. So uh, the volumes that you're using, you'll you use an equal volume of compost to an equal to an equal volume of soil that you pull from the, the hole, and you'll mix it together. Now that sounds like it's going to be a 50-50 mix. It's not. It ends up being, because of the density of the two, it ends up uh, being somewhere in the 20 to 30 percent range, which is about right and where you'll need it uh, if you're going to make a soil amendment, uh, mix it into the existing soil and put it back in again. So the whole idea here is to excavate that hole at least three times the size of the container in diameter, not depth, and then we're going to put that amended soil back in the hole at the same time that we're adding water. So when we put that container, we, we that containered rose that we have, I'm going to tip it on its side almost upside down, and I'm going to hold it with one hand so it doesn't fall out of the container, and I'm going to lift the container off. Then I'm going to write it back up again, holding the root ball, not the plant itself, and then I'm going to gently put it into the planting hole. And that's critical. That planting hole is around the same depth as it was, so that when the soil is backfilled around it, it's at the same soil level as it was in the landscape. That's very, very critical. We don't want it lower, and we don't want it any higher. As that rose's root ball is being put back in the hole, then we're going to start to slowly add some water.
and then the amended soil that we took from the hole and we've amended it now with compost we're going to put it back in i want a slurry i want something wet and uh very wet and and uh um like a, a muck that's going back around the root ball and when you do this you're going to see bubbles air bubbles starting to be exhausted from the root ball and as that soil settles around that root ball you're going to see a lot of bubbles starting to come to the surface that's a good thing because that tells me that the air pockets are being released from around the root ball and if we do it right and if we start with a, a slurry we add that slurry we we put hose water in it we put the amended soil in it and we let it drain when we're finished we probably will not need to use any kind of a stake you won't need to stake the plant at all it'll be solid in the ground what i'll end up doing is i'll end up making a donut around uh, the plant uh, uh, just outside of where the hole was dug or around where the hole was dug and that will be my basin it's flat that'll be my basin for filling it with a hose and i'll do that two or three times in the next three or four days to make sure that all the soil has settled in around the root ball now if that uh, rose had any kind of stake that came with it uh, like a green nursery stake a half inch diameter stake i'll cut it loose from that rose and that stake is right next to the rose i won't take it out but i'll use a hammer and i'll pound it into the soil beneath it until it's in solid soil beneath it then i'll retie that with stretchable green nursery tape around the rose and around the stake i want the roots not to move i don't care about the top of the plant but if i do stake it at all i'm staking to keep the roots from moving not the top of the plant then after I've watered it with a hose in that donut three or four times, then I'm going to turn it over to the irrigation system. Now the number of emitters that I use, if I'm using drip emitters, really depends on, and the size of them, depends on how much water I'm going to apply and over what period of time. So let's say, for instance, uh, that that irrigation cycle was already set for 30 minutes. I want to deliver to that plant that I just put in, since it was in a five-gallon container, I'll want to deliver about five gallons of water. And that means in 30 minutes. So that means if I put two five-gallon emitters that are about six to eight inches away from it, still uh, on the inside of where that hole was dug, that water in 30 minutes, I'll be delivering about five gallons of water. I could use three emitters as well and spacing them triangularly around the plant about six to eight inches from the trunk. And if that's the case, in one hour, I want to deliver about five, five gallons in 30 minutes. So I'll put in three four-gallon-per-hour emitters. That'll give me 12 gallons. And in 30 minutes, it'll give me a little bit more. It'll give me six gallons of water, which is fine. I don't mind adding more water what I don't want to do is I don't want to water it too often. That's the, the key point that we want to, when we're irrigating, we want to add all the water it needs and then hold off until the next watering cycle. So we'll go ahead and turn it over to the drip emitters. Now, we've got this, the, the, we've selected the right variety for the hot desert climate. 
We've got it in the hole. We've taken it out of the container. We've put it in the hole. We've made a slurry around it with a hose. We've built a donut around it, and we're filling that donut two, three, four times with hose water and letting it soak right in, and we're seeing those air bubbles come out, and it's solid in that soil. We've done a great job. We've put an amendment in it, a good quality amendment in it, and that amendment should last two or three years. And with, if we're using a high-quality amendment, a compost, like a municipal solid, a composted municipal solid waste, there's a lot of nutrients in that compost. We won't probably need to fertilize it for about two years, two or maybe even three years. There's that, much, that many nutrients already present in the compost. So if we're using a different compost and that compost is uh, lower in nutrient levels, then maybe the following year we might have to add uh, fertilizer. We'll talk about that in a little bit to that hole, uh, fertilizing it in the early spring. Uh, when we're covering that area, we, we want to use wood chips as much as possible and avoid using rock as a, as a mulch, as a covering the soil surface. We want to use something that's going to, to break down, decompose, and add some nutrient value to the soil. So that really all we'll have to use is something high in nitrogen in the future. There'll be a lot, there's already in that compost, if it's from Viragrow, it's got a lot of phosphorus in it. It's a little light on potassium, but it's got a lot of phosphorus in it. We won't need to add any phosphorus, at least for the one first or second year that it's uh, growing. We might need to add phosphorus later on, two or three years down the road, but not after, the, after we plant it, for sure. So we, we went ahead, we're looking for wood chips. It's going to go about two inches deep around that. Avoid using rock if we can. And I was at a place, <clears throat> I, was at a, uh, I was doing some consulting in Las Vegas, and I was consulting in the backyard, and as I was leaving, I uh, was walking to the front area with the owner, and uh, I looked at him, and I, I saw some roses planted near, near the foundation, and they were surrounded by rock mulch. And I turned to him, and I said, I wasn't going to say anything because I wasn't asked about it, but uh, just watch out because you're going to have problems with those roses in about three, anywhere from three to five years from now. And he said, that's fine. I'll deal with it then. My wife wanted roses, and to keep the peace, I put roses in. It's got rock mulch around it. You told me it's not the best thing for it, and I'll keep an eye on it. And if we have to, we'll replace them. But I'm just trying to keep the peace at this point. I said, fine, just as long as you realize what the potential down-the-road problems are going to be. They'd only been in the ground about a year. <clears throat> so anyway, Hopefully he got some heat-tolerant roses. They were on the north side, so it should be okay. When, when they're planted on the south and west side, it's really important to try to keep these roses as healthy as possible because they're going to withstand the heat of the desert and reflected light much better if they're healthy than if they're not healthy. And the type of soil amendment that you pick in amending that soil is really going to have a big impact on their future health. So keep that in mind when you're selecting uh, compost. Don't skimp on it. Don't just go for the cheapest compost you can find. Anyway, we've got on the surface now wood chips two to three inches deep. 
These wood chips, it's not a decorative mulch. These are wood chips that decompose. They're cut, they're, they're cut and they're sliced and they have open surfaces and they're going to rot and decompose over time. That's going to add that nutrient level to that soil. You're going to see worms in that soil. Even though you saw nothing at the time of planting, you're going to see lots of worms. If you do it right, use a good compost and a good uh, surface mulch, you're going to see worms in a, in a year or less in that soil because of the way that you've modified it. Not that you brought worms in, but you're going to see them. They'll love it. And also, when you put that wood chip mulch down on the surface, the roots are going to love to grow into that area. That's where it's a, a good mixture of air and water. That's, and there's nutrients that are present. As long as you're fertilizing it on a regular basis, which we'll talk about in a minute, you'll have no problems whatsoever with it. So now you've got the wood chips down. Keep the wood chips about six inches away from the rows so we don't get any crown rot, any rot developing on, on the stems. And then uh, cover that with wood chips, and then uh, you're, you've got your drip emitters underneath it. Expose them if you want them and if you want to see them. Otherwise, you can just bury them and not worry about it. Those emitters should be about six to eight inches away from the base of the, of, uh, of the trunk of that rose, the stem, main stem of that rose. All right. Now, when you're pruning these roses, uh, you're going to go ahead and have them grow. Don't need to fertilize for a while, but you may need to fertilize if you're using uh, a soil amendment that's not high in nutrients. So when you do fertilize, if you're going to fertilize roses and you're only going to do it once, and that's really all that's necessary for most garden roses, then you're going to do it in about mid-January. You're going to do it at just before it things start to pop in the spring. So about mid-January, you're going to put a fertilizer down. The fertilizer you'll use will be the same one that you use for fruit trees. There, there are going to be rose fertilizers out there. Usually the rose fertilizers are high in the middle number or phosphorus. If you're using that Viragro compost, it's got a lot of phosphorus in it already. But any, anyway, uh, you'll just need to make sure that you add some nitrogen. So when the, the fertilizer you're looking at, uh, again, if you're using a rich compost, you won't need to use anything for a couple of years. If you're using uh, another compost that's not as rich, in the next year or even the, the same year you plant, you may need to add a fertilizer. You might. Look at the new growth. If the new growth looks like it's not growing quickly, then you need to add a fertilizer. If the new growth is lagging behind, or it is explosive and it's growing like crazy and the leaves are a dark green, don't add any fertilizer. The plant is telling you it's got plenty to eat down there. So don't, don't uh, add anything at all. Leave it alone. Don't follow a book. Look at what the plant is doing and let it tell you what it needs. So fertilizing once in the year. If you're doing show roses, you will fertilize more frequently that two or three times a year. And there's the rosarians on November 9th. They're there. And if you're going to do show roses, they'll, they'll walk you through everything that's necessary to do show roses and how to present them and what to do and uh, disbudding and all that kind of stuff that they do when they grow specialty roses. So anyway, the fertilizer, the staking is done, the mulching is done. If you do have to surround it with rock mulch, if you don't have a choice, then 
Uh, try to select a rock that's larger. Don't use the smaller rock that's half inch, three eighths, or quarter inch minus. Use the one inch stuff so that you can apply compost to the surface and then water it in with the hose so that it soaks in through that coarse rock down into the soil and at least helps keep the soil alive and uh, decent. I'm trying to think what else we need to talk about with roses. Oh, irrigation timing on it. So we're going to be irrigating uh, with about five gallons of water. In about three years, the roses will be larger, so you'll want to add a 30 meter and probably bump it up instead of five gallons. Maybe you'll add one more five gallon per hour emitter so that you have three of them. That's 15 gallons in an hour or seven and a half gallons in 30 minutes, and that should be plenty for the rose for the rest of its life. You won't need to increase it more than that, and that will be fine. Uh, with it as well. Uh, pruning, I talked about uh, you're going to have some insect pest problems that will occur in the very early spring. As soon as the new growth comes out, the plant lice or aphids are going to want to attack the new growth. Uh, control ants that are in that area and also spray the roses with a dormant oil. Not the neem oil, that'll work on aphids that are there. But before the new growth comes out, spray it with a dormant oil so that you suffocate any aphids that might be hanging around over the wintertime uh, on those rose plants. Get that down. And then as the roses come out, and if you start to see those plant lice or aphids on them, like I said, control the ants because they'll disperse them. And, uh, and also, uh, you could use the neem oil or a soap, insecticidal soap and spray the foliage, anything to, to keep them under control. And uh, you won't have too many problems. It's a dry climate. I mean, what was the humidity today? 15%. So you're, it's a dry climate. You're not going to see a lot of the powdery mildews. You're not going to see black spot. You're not going to see a lot of the stuff that we see in wetter climates here in the, in the Mojave Desert. It's just too dry. Uh, you may see some other insect pests, but you can handle that as things go along. So anyway, that's your basic basic uh, overview of roses, growing them in the desert. They look great for about eight months of the year. That winter time, which is for roses, is the winter time is the heat of the summer in the desert of a little bit of May, June, July, August, and a little bit of September that's when they're going to be really struggling. So with that information, I hope that gets you set. Grow roses, enjoy them. They're a beautiful addition to a landscape. Take care. Bye-bye. Learn more about desert horticulture on my blog, Extreme Horticulture of the Desert. That's all one word, extreme horticulture, and starting with an X. Take some of my classes on desert horticulture. Google or search for Bob Morris on Eventbrite.